0: Welcome to Sex Unshackled. I am Becky Krepsley-Fox and this podcast is where sexuality and spirituality meet. Today on Sex Unshackled, I have Rosie Batamelli with me. Rosie is a mindset mentor, yoga teacher and women's empowerment coach. She is the founder of the Glow Up program and Sensual Luminosity Yoga. From her own experience of dealing with fear, anxiety, and mistrust, she now guides women to heal those vulnerable parts, to unleash the divine feminine power and radiate boundless, luminous confidence from the inside out. Rosie is a fellow yoga teacher, and our empowerment work has a lot in common with each other. I am super excited to have her here with me today. Rosie, can you please tell the listeners what brought you to this work?
1: Oh, hi, Becky. Thanks so much for having me. Um, yes. What brought me to this work pretty much was just from my own experience, about 13 years ago, I came back out with really bad anxiety and depression. Um, and the reason I came out with this, I think, you know, there was a lot of things going on in my life, but I'd just come out of a five year relationship and found out that I was cheated on like throughout the whole relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and that brought a lot of mistrust actually for myself more than anything mainly because I'd been trusting for those five years and I, you know, had no idea it was going on. Um, so immediately I didn't trust others, but then that turned into a, a mistrust of my from myself. And um, that that trauma's been kind of there since and I've done a lot of work around it um, to to get to where I am today. Obviously occasionally I'm triggered and it comes up, but I'm I've kind of worked past that really um, really bad point in my life. I can remember just some days sitting at the end of my bed feeling so anxious and depressed that I just would stare at the wall for three hours on end just not feeling anything you know feeling numb Um, and it kind of turned into health anxiety so every time I read a poster about cancer or something I thought I had it I thought I had like brain tumors and like anything you know you name it I had it Um, but of course I didn't actually have any of those things I was manifesting them from my from my mind into my physical body the thing that was most uh potent i think was was this lump in my throat i'd had I'd had that for about six months i guess and i'd gone to the doctors and they said you're fine and and that lump in my throat i think a lot of us a lot of listeners will probably understand now it is ang- is a form of anxiety mm-hmm. um so i'd been you know prescribed for antidepressants and those are different things and actually being Prescribed the antidepressants was more scary for me than not taking them. So I, I actually opted out and, and said no. And then that kind of started the quest of how can I, how can I get over this? How can I feel better um, through other modalities that isn't taking prescription drugs? And that was it. I went to my first yoga class and the first time I came out, it was quite miraculous. You know, most people say it takes a few times, but I'd come out and the lump had, had felt like it had started to go just because I was breathing properly. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was the, the yoga journey, I guess. And that's when I started reading self-help books. Um, I was reading like Eckhart Tolle, Power of Now, and um, Dr. Wayne Dwyer, the, there's a spiritual solution to every problem, just really diving deep into understanding that we have this powerful um so well, our mind is so powerful and we have such a control over it, which we don't sometimes realize that we do have the control to take it back, you know, but it can just kind of creep away from us. And we don't realize that we're not our thoughts. We're not our feelings. We're actually the awareness um, above them. So once I started learning this, I just, I needed to give it to other people because I felt the healing powers. Um, And it wasn't actually until about four years later that I did my yoga training and did that. And then it just kept unraveling from there. And I realized that, oh, I don't want to just be a yoga teacher. I My main thing that I took into my classes was that I was always coming with a theme and I was always talking throughout the whole thing. So I realized that I wasn't really focused that much on the asana. I was like, I want to give people something more. I want to tell people and help people in like their psyche. Um, and that's when I was like, OK, you know, I want to become a coach and I want to do this. So I started reading those books and doing courses and that's kind of me today. That was a very like round up version. But um that's what's got me to today. And I'm wanting to help women feel empowered and assertive and boundary setting because it was something that I just didn't do when I was younger. You know, I'd left that relationship um, when I got cheated on and then ended up taking him back like six months later. Didn't have the boundary, didn't have the assertiveness or the the trust in myself to kind of find myself alone and and just out in the world doing it independently and I repeated that pattern probably two or three times until I broke it (laughs) I kept getting cheated on I kept taking them back until I was like ah this is me who's causing this no one else (laughs) um yeah and that's why I wanted to work with women specifically And I definitely want to start, you know, I'm not doing it right now, but I would love to start working with actual like relationships and and couples as well sometime in the future.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much for bringing such a personal insight to that background, because I think it's really helpful for the listeners to know that a lot of what they feel um, is similar to what a lot of other people feel. So that numbness you spoke about staring at the wall for a few hours, you know, I'm sure a lot of people have gone through stages in their life where they have felt detached when they felt numb and they felt, you know, in that kind of freeze response. And I think it's so important for people like us who are educators and therapists and coaches to say, you know, we have been there before, you know, we have this lived experience as well. and yeah, I also love everything that you brought in today because that threads so nicely into what we're going to talk about and what the topic is today. And we're talking about a concept in which we're calling our partners are our mirrors. Rosie, can you kick us off by telling us a bit about what this is and what this means to you?
1: Yes, certainly. Um, so partners are our mirrors. reason that we kind of chose this title, I guess, together is because from relationship to relationship, sometimes you don't, or I definitely didn't, didn't realize that <clears throat> when I was kind of arguing or having a dispute with a partner, was never realizing that that was actually my own projection coming across to my partner. And it wasn't until I started reading books <coughs> about this, which I'll reference The Dance of the Lion and the Unicorn by Mark Haller, mm-hmm. um, One of the best books that really easily described this kind of pattern that we, um that we create in every single relationship that we're in. And what that pattern looks like, I guess, is that, you know, from when you meet your partner, you're in this like honeymoon period. And the reason that this honeymoon period is so beautiful is because you've actually, you're not really showing all your shadow sides. You're just showing like all the good parts and like you're you're kind of, um, you're, you're talking to each other and giving each other exactly what you want. You know, you even sometimes not, completely break down your morals but you might even uh, adjust part of your personality not even not knowingly to meet to to help your relationship with that person as you're getting to know them and what well, what mark waller kind of uh talks about in his book is that as we as the every relationship progresses you break down you get more comfortable and suddenly your shadow side comes out as well And your, you know, your partner has to meet your shadow as well as you having to bring it up again for the first time. And of course, shadows, your shadow self isn't something to hide from, it's something to celebrate. And it's something to, you know, um, really let them be heard and seen and just work with them rather than against them. But a lot of us don't know this. And when we get into a relationship, and suddenly we're like, who is this person turned into? Like, why are they so angry or why are they so um avoidant? And that's the main thing I wanted to, the, to talk about with this partner our mirrors, I guess, is uh interestingly, Mark Waller talks in this book about how you're either a lion or a unicorn. And really quickly, I'll, I'll try to do a brief description on this, um, try to do it justice, is that lions kind of are people who are more seen and heard so they're very um, active in an argument. for instance, so if you're having some kind of disagreement with your partner um, you would act out and you would you know you would uh, speak your truth and how annoyed you were. That could come out as anger and shouting. it might not necessarily, but it's some kind of roar, you know there's something that everyone's gonna see it. Um, And the unicorn would uh, actually withdraw completely. So they just want to, you know, they just want to hide because they're so scared of um, being hurt and and they're so scared of dispute, to be honest. And what's really interesting about this lion and unicorn is that each of the, they're, they're basically defense modes. The defense is oh, okay, I'm feeling scared. I'm feeling like I might be abandoned right now in this relationship. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna go into defense mode. And your defense modes as a lion and a unicorn are are both completely opposite. You know, One's withdrawing, one's trying to chat and and speak and um, be heard. And this kind of goes in this cyclical effect because if the lion wants to be heard and keep shouting and the unicorn is withdrawing, you're kind of pushing each other's buttons. So the unicorn's like, okay, I, I don't I don't want to be here right now. This is too much for me. Tries to walk away. So it just triggers the lion to just want to be heard more because they're like, why are you not listening to me? And so this cycle goes on every dispute without knowing. If you're not mindful of it, then you're just going to always end up pushing each other further away. Um, but interestingly, you know, the only reason that we're doing these, or we're acting out in the, our defense modes is actually to try and protect us from the feeling that we're we're getting anyway <laughs> we're, we're trying to protect ourselves from this really uncomfortable feeling of abandonment and um you know not feeling safe not feeling accepted and in turn we're actually creating that sep- that that uh separateness are we're, we're creating it rather than pushing through our um through our pain through the trauma and finding true connection and you know we, we know or anyone who's listening who's seen Brené Brown knows that vulnerability is the is the path to true connections you have to be vulnerable um but the the lion is just seeking a lot of approval and the unicorn is seeking safety but both those actually emit to um just wanting to feel true connection you know you want to feel safe you want to feel like you're loved and um, not abandoned you want approval because you want the other person to do the same and all this you know just comes from our past childhood trauma of those needs not being met so we end up looking for them in our partners and when they're not met we kick off into our defense mode
0: Yes, there were so many amazing points that you just made. So many amazing points. And I just want to highlight that you said, we should not be scared of our shadow side, we should embrace our shadow side. Because I think when we're learning about these types of things, we're like, Oh, my God, that's, that's what I do. I, I'm I'm too argumentative, or I'm too withdrawn. And we see it as a negative when actually, if we shine a light, On these shadow sides, as recording them, it means that actually we now know more about ourselves and we now have the ability to try to create change if that's something and what we want to do. And I, what I find really interesting, which was in the book, was that a lot of unicorns and lions match together. So he actually said that nearly everyone that he's met um, in this couple aspect in couples therapy is a lion and a unicorn. Um, and yeah, me and Rosie are both lions and our <laughs> partners are both unicorns. So you can kind of imagine how that dynamic goes down when we're feeling a little bit feisty at home. And it's also making me think about attachment theory because just to give you a little bit of information for the listeners, if you don't know what attachment theory is, um, attachment theory was created by um, John Balby. And it was about They, I think they say within the first two years of your life, it's set. However, I know that other people who have different childhoods as they're growing up, the attachment style can change depending on what happens also through childhood and teenage years. But traditionally, I think they do say it's just in the first two years. And the idea is you relate to your caregiver in a certain way, how the caregiver relates to you, and that sets in stone how your attachment will be for the rest of your life. Now, I'm saying for the rest of your life, you can change it with therapy, with awareness, and also with being with different partners. So some examples of attachment theory, there's anxious, which I'm linking to lions. And then there's avoidant, which I'm linking to unicorns. Now, there's also secure, so people can be securely attached and also still fall into the lion or unicorn that we're talking about today. And then there's disorganized. So disorganized people um, are often people who've been through perhaps quite traumatic childhoods or maybe had different ways of relating back from their primary caregiver. So maybe sometimes it was secure, sometimes they were being neglected, sometimes they were being overprotective, and that's why they had this kind of disorganized structure because they, they just aren't sure what to do with it all. Now, as I'm saying this, I need to just highlight that this is all subconscious. So we don't decide what our attachment theories, our attachment style is gonna be. Um, none of this is logical. And there's also lots of different names for it. So you might have heard disorganized go under a different name. Um, so the research is quite varied. Yeah, and it's just, it's making me think about that and how also in attachment theory, um, anxious and avoidant people often fall together. And sometimes I talk to clients about this and they're like, but why, why would they? And we have to think, you know, if two avoidants were together, nothing's going to happen. You know, they're not texting (laughs) each other back, no one's organizing a date, no communications going on. And oppositionally, you know, anxious and anxious could work, but that's going to be like quite, um, I've been using the word toxic, because that's just, you know, could be full of maybe jealousy, well, probably a lot of jealousy to do with anxiety. And that's just too much energy. That's too much to be contained by two people. There's no kind of grounding force. Um, so that's why quite often anxious and avoidant people work together. And then the anxious person might kind of cling on to the avoidant. The avoidant runs away. And this happens so much. And to the avoidant is like, bye-bye. You know, this is the end. This is over. They step away. So the anxious person, you know, comes to terms with it. And the avoidant's like, oh, where's my anxious partner, I'm missing them now. And then it goes back into this loop. And this cycle kind of just goes round and round and round.
1: Yeah, that's so interesting, because I mean, I'm sure so many of us can relate to just that. It's as soon as you, you know, it's always the avoidant person, actually, I've noticed in my own experience is I've ended up ending my relationships because for whatever reason, I was cheated on or other things. And you know, two months later, they're like, hello, can, can I come back into your life now? And it's because they're missing that anxious person who's like, you know, very passionate and forward um, forward speaking. Um, and I don't know about you, but I found the challenges with the lion, the unicorn, and, and of course I'm going to be really biased because I'm a lion, so I'm like, we're the best. <laughs>
0: but it's like
1: definitely, I find we've got it harder because say you were having a heated discussion, sometimes my passion can come across as, as anger. And I'm like, I'm not actually angry right now. I'm just yes. very passionate. And that's how I speak. And that's how I come across. Um, so, you know, for someone from an outsider to look in, the avoidant person looks like they're kind of goody two-shoes and they've done nothing wrong. <laughs> the lion's like, whoa, okay, you're getting a, it's getting a bit much right now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. And I think, you know, the avoidant person can leave. So the unicorn can leave, which means we don't get to carry on arguing. But so the argument is um, decided upon the person that leaves and we can't argue with ourselves. So that's just, you know, unfair straight away.
1: <laughs> I know, right. It is, it's a funny old one. And like me and me and Dave have got really good at like um, resolving it now, you know, and in the book, there's loads of strategies about how to resolve this kind of um, this conflict. And and it's literally just about, you know, perception, Uh, equals our feeling and emotion. So, you know, whenever um, we perceive an external force, something's happened, something triggers us, usually from from our past. Um, But for instance, jealousy was one of mine and that was because I was cheated on. So I'll use that as an example. So anytime um, some kind of uh, interaction, I guess, that felt a bit too uh, flirty or something would happen with one of my partner and another woman, I'd be triggered. And, you know, my, my first and foremost, um, reaction to that when I was younger would just be to kick off and get angry. Mm-hmm. And now with all the work that I've done and, and the books and, and I've read and etc. cetera, it's kind of gone. Oh, okay. So I'm feeling triggered right now. It what's actually going on. Isn't that bad, but I'm feeling bad. So what I can do is go to my partner and say, I know this interaction isn't actually, you know, awful or anything and you're not doing anything wrong, but I'm triggered and I feel, um, I feel jealous and I feel upset or anxious right now. Could you help me with those feelings? And that really works because then the person is like, okay, you're not attacking me. You're just, you're, you're saying how you feel and, and that's really vulnerable and I want to help you feel better. And then the connection starts. And then, you know, the same vice versa, if they come to you and say like, I'm I'm struggling with an issue right now. I'm struggling with a feeling. Can you help me with it? Of course, there might sometimes be a time when someone does something slightly wrong. I mean, you know, what is wrong? We don't know, but you know, I'm not going to go too far down that rabbit hole. Um, but but most of the time, it's actually that we, you know, we're in control of our emotions and we forget that. We forget that it's, it's us who's in control and that's taking the control back by just going to your partner and saying, actually, like, can you please help me with this feeling?
0: Yes, that's why I love so much about it, because it's taking ownership. Instead of it being like, you made me angry, it's saying, you did this, and now I feel anger. So the emotions are mine, the action was yours, the behavior was yours. But mm-hmm. the way that it made me feel is mine, you did not make me feel that way. And I think, you know, this can be taken to maybe negative aspects as well. Because, you know, if we're going to think about domestic abuse for example we can't be like oh I'm gonna take offense because you did this to me you know you may um you punched me but as you know it's my fault for being upset about it you know we can't kind of go too far down this route you know we have to take everything that we're saying with a pinch of salt but within you know consenting um grown-up adult communicative relationships then I think this is a really healthy way to be and you've mentioned the word vulnerability a couple of times now and I'm wondering why you think it's so essential for vulnerability in um, committed relationships
1: yes yeah, so vulnerability I mean it's I think it's quite a hot topic anyway and it has been since probably Brene Brown's call to courage um that but vulnerability is one of these things that we associate, I suppose, and it's always been associated in the past with um, weakness. It's like if you're vulnerable, you're weak, especially in men. That's, you know, men have had it quite hard when it comes to that. Usually, you know, females have most things harder, but men have actually had it pretty hard when it comes to vulnerability. Um, and, you know, the reason vulnerability is so important is is because vulnerability is when we're showing ourselves, our our full selves to someone and saying, you know, this is who I am. And the other person's going, okay, I'm open to also be vulnerable with you to listen and to see you. And, And all we really want is to be seen, right? We just want to be seen and heard. And that's what connection feels like. If you feel like you've been ignored, it's taking it back to that childhood of you feel abandoned. You feel like you're not being listened to and you feel like you're not worthy. Obviously, we, you know, we we know we're worthy like enough on our own, but when it comes to um, relationships, if we're not willing to be vulnerable with that person, we're not willing to be courageous. Because let's let's put it that way: vulnerability and courage are the same thing. Like you're you're basically going out and deci- and deciding I'm going to say something or do something, and I don't know what the the end result's going to be. I have no idea what's going to happen here, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, that mantra is coming to mind of feel the fear and do it anyway, you know, mm-hmm. just like, okay, you know, you can be vulnerable when you say I love you first. You can be vulnerable when you say um, that thing that you did has made me feel this way. And, and the reason I, I don't know the reasons maybe, but maybe you can start to uncover them as well. And that's the beautiful thing with relationships is it's very different to being on your own, be on your own. You learn something completely different as well. Like you, it's like, why it's so important to have you know in your life time alone and time in relationships because when you're on your own you're very independent you're finding your own feet um you know you're you're trusting yourself fully knowing that you don't need another person that that person's a bonus but in a relationship you're finding things out that you can't find out on your own you're finding out how you interact with another person how you uh respond when your views might be slightly different and you know i think it's funny when some people um think that there's a perfect person out there for everyone. <laughs> and the reason I don't agree with this is because there isn't going to be someone who's a carbon copy of you who believes every single uh value is exactly the same as yours. Partly because our values are changing every single moment of every single day and you know it's good to have core values but it's good to have an open mind and know that every single day we're a new person. And the way I like to look at this vulnerability and like and and relationships is I like to think that I'm meeting a new person every single day. So even if you've been with someone for 10, 20 years, that person isn't the same as they were 10, 20 years ago. They're not the same person they were yesterday. So when you can think of a relationship like that, it's really refreshing and beautiful because you're like, whoa, I see you for the first time again today and you're telling me something which I didn't know or, or you, your behavior has changed slightly because you're growing or you've, you know, you've got a new hobby or whatever it is. And so being vulnerable with the person is just, for me, connecting with them every single moment of every single day in a new light mm-hmm. um, and, you know, being open to being seen in all your shadow and positive t- positivity and everything else, all the mundane in between, the ordinary. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just just to be seen and to be heard is the most beautiful way to connect with people. Yes.
0: And what that's making me think of is in the book, um, he suggested to look at your child, like their childlike selves. Um, And I've been doing that, I've experimenting with that with my partner recently, especially when he's been like leaving his shoes all over the floor and (laughs) (laughs) doing other things that annoy me. And then I see him in this childlike sense and the anger just disappears because I see the vulnerability. And that is what's so important because as you say, especially men have been trained almost not to show it and that allows me to tap into that vulnerable sense of him and create so much more compassion and love um which is so so needed especially at this time when you know we can't can't connect with anyone else outside our homes to have that compassion for each other because you know times are tough
1: yeah I mean compassion you've just bingo that that's the thing I think that's the word I was looking for as well is is compassion I mean if we look at every every person and everything in life at a place, a, from a place of love and compassion, it's quite funny when you start doing this because you realize that you can't lose, like nothing, you know, if you're looking at something with love and compassion, you're keeping your center And I don't know anyone who doesn't want to keep their center for most of the time, you know, it's okay to go off occasionally and, you know, have a, um, it's okay to feel anger and it's okay to express them in healthy ways. Like I scream into a pillow sometimes when I'm angry or, you know, do primal screaming or shake, shake it off or like do something to shift the energy because the thing is with emotion as well is um, it it's literally Latin for energy in motion. So it wants to be shifted, it wants to be moved. It doesn't want to say stuck. And that doesn't mean that we repress our emotions or try to hide them. We want to you know, meet them and see them, but then we want to go, okay, how can I shift this now? Um, and the, the compassion is everything. I mean, being compassionate for someone's behavior, like leaving the shoes, something really annoying. Where if someone is angry, how can you show that person compassion? Because they're not doing it you know, out of spite. They're, they're doing it because they're in pain, and if we can see that person's pain, like you say, with the inner child, the inner child work, I guess, uh, you can actually go, ah, okay. So I can look at this from a place of love and compassion, rather than me also getting angry because that's not going to help the situation.
0: Yes. I love what you said um, about anger, you know, there are no bad emotions, it's just about how you express them. So as you say, I do a lot of screaming and shaking and emotional release stuff, which allows the anger to exit the body. So it doesn't get stored in the body, because that's what we don't want. That's what happens when we get those, you know, googling um, symptoms within the body, because we feel ill, and we get all that kind of health anxiety, you know, I have been there. Um, And a way to get that stuff out of the body is by doing emotional release but do it in a safe contained space not where you're projecting it on the other person so I think that's such an important thing that you highlighted and I'm wondering because this is sex unshackled Mm -hmm. how we can (laughs) relate this to our sex lives how can we bring some kind of sex into this Hmm,
1: yes. So something I always find and I found in my relationships, and you can let me know in yours as well, um, is that if you are obviously arguing all of the time, I mean, there's two things here. I, I've been in relationships where you have like makeup sex. And I've been in my relationship now where um, my partner and you know, Dave, um, is he actually um, finds it really hard to connect sexually after a disagreement. So I found that interesting. because It's not something I'm used to, but it's quite, um, I guess it's quite refreshing to think that someone wants to connect with you first before um, having sex. But something I would also say is, you know, um, as relationships go on, as you are kind of getting into these, um, I guess, a pattern of having to like mother and father each other, you need to try to keep uh, that, that's, that's separate slightly because if you're constantly trying to mother or father someone because they're, you know, you're being really vulnerable with each other, what you don't want it to turn into, I guess, is you you know, you're playing those roles. And I think this is when archetypes come into it, actually. So thinking about what what role you're playing at what time in the relationship and what specifically. And it's totally fine to play those roles. um, But then how can you uh, spice things up and take it into the bedroom so you're playing the, you know, the sexy role and like the, the pleasurable role? And I found that, you know, it can be quite scary, but I'll talk a little bit, you know, about Tantra, I guess, here is this way of when you're communicating like this outside the bedroom is actually much easier to communicate like that inside the bedroom. And you can actually say what you want. Um, so embodying an archetype, so embodying, you know, the, the high priestess or like the lover or something where you feel really empowered and sexy. And I do this internally. So I do some work like beforehand, I dress up, um, and you know, I guess it's not even about actual role play. Of course that can also be great, but it's just, stepping into who you want to become for that, um, for for that session or that, like whatever. Um, And if that sounds scary, what we, what me and Dave used to do actually, um, when we started kind of get like uh, experimenting with this kind of stuff was there's this book called Slow Sex. Have you read it?
0: Yep. And I've done it.
1: (laughs) Okay. So, you know, the exercise (laughs) Um, and and the the exercise in that is really genius. So you can just I mean, I don't know, maybe you'll explain the exercise better than me, uh, but it, you're just basically uh, lying down and the the guy would lie kind of by your legs. And the whole point of the exercise isn't specifically to kind of reach a climax or anything. If you do, that's also great. There's no there's no judgment there. But the, the point of the exercise is to communicate with each other. So, you know, he touches your clitoris and just you communicate what you like and how you like it, etc. And I think that's a really cool exercise to begin with anyone who is kind of scared to step into a role and, and maybe doesn't know how to ask what they want in the bedroom um that for me really spiced our our relationship up because we suddenly were communicating really well outside and then when we came to having sex and stepped into these roles we were very open and um just i felt you know i could be dominating and also dominated and and that was the role i was stepping into at the time
0: yes i love that um and i think That point is key about communication outside of the bedroom, helps with communication inside the bedroom. And just a note about um, the book you were talking about for the readers. So it's based on orgasmic masturbation, um, which is an old school practice, but they kind of westernized it in America. And the premise is that someone with a vulva and vagina gets 15 minutes, I think it is, where the other person mm. is stimulating the clitoris and it's very precise. It's very like up and down strokes. Um, but with the person with the vulva and the vagina, learning how to direct, you know, oh, it feels better if you're in the top right corner instead of the bottom left. And oh, actually I prefer slower strokes or harder strokes. And what's really great about this exercise is it begins, it starts with the person, the giver. Um, looking at the vulva and saying the things they find attractive about it, and now they mm. don't say things like "sexy." It's very much like, "Oh, I like that that bit is red, and I like that your labia is um, slightly darker, and things like that." And that can just do just transformational amounts of power to people who have, firstly, not really looked at their vulvas, and secondly, um, don't like them or haven't connected to them because that it's just huge it's even for me I'm someone who just like embraces you know vulva I'm like yeah you know um but still that was a huge thing to do me and my husband actually did it for quite a long time so just another note on orgasmic meditation it there is some bad connotations with it um, especially in America and there's some kind of seedy um things that I do not agree with that happened however the book is great. The practice behind it is great. And there is a little bit at the back for people with penises, but um, I kind of love that they get like one chapter and we get a whole book. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry, people with penises, but, you know, we've got to shift the table. We've got to fight that patriar- patriarchy somehow. Um All right. So Rosie, it was amazing having you on here. We are out of time. Can you please tell the listeners where they can find you and join in with your offerings?
1: Mm, Yes, thank you so much for having me. This has been wonderful. Um, So I can be found um, on Instagram, Rosie Batamelli, or my website www.rosiebatamelli.com. And at the moment, I am offering, I've got a few slots left for a mentorship, which I'm running, um, which is called The Glow Up. And it's all about basically everything we've been talking about, really, but to find, um, you know, to uncover and unleash our divine feminine. So uncovering these um, beliefs, this lack of belief, trying to just radiate luminosity, feeling comfortable with sex, um, with pleasure, and just feeling like falling in love with ourselves and falling in love with life basically and just embodying rituals and different things just to make life beautiful and magic um and yes and then I obviously offer my yoga sessions as well but that's like my main mentorship which is going on at the moment which I'm super excited about
0: amazing thanks so much for coming and yeah hopefully we'll have you back soon yes thank you